Thank you for tuning in to Tuesdays with Andrea podcast, where I treasure life itself and the relationships we make at each phase. And I'm your host, Andrea Brios McMillan. And to get me through this crazy, ever-changing world, and especially now when times seem dark, I seek the perspective of real, everyday working people shining among us. And Sandra Gonzalez is one of these people. So thank you for joining, Sandra. She is an advisor for Northern Illinois University, and she's currently running to serve as the Wabanzi Community College trustee. No, thank you so much, Sandra, for having me. Uh, it's it's an it's an honor, and we have a mutual connection. We have Jackie Camacho Ruiz, who is just kind of shining in this world and finding great gems like yourself. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I was just saying that I'm in the midst of editing my section of the third volume of the Young Inspired Latina series. So that's exciting. <laughs> that's very exciting. So when she approaches you and says, "Hey, Sandra, let's." tell your story. How do you feel? Like, what was that response? You know, (laughs) so I'm not normally one to just go and tell my stories. I'm still somewhat of this aspect where even just the notion of putting myself out there is not very natural to me. I think I've just had to learn over time that this is what the spaces that I'm coming into that people want to learn more. So it's still something that I am learning and trying to overcome. But I think it's super exciting to see just a series of stories from people who are doing great work. And I'm super, super humbled that I get to share that. Yeah. And people want to know, especially when you're applying for a public role, like, like the Wabanzi trustee, they, they want to know who is this person? Who's the mm-hmm. person behind what they're currently doing? What drives them? What motivates them? So how did, when you think about how much to share with others, how do you start to begin to craft? Like, what is my story? What, what do I want to tell? I really start to think about my role as being a community organizer. So in addition to myself being an advisor at NIU, I'm one of the founders of an immigration advocacy nonprofit in Aurora. And so in doing that, I really do think about just what it is that people are going to want to know more about in terms of that role and how that lends itself to my running for trustee. And so I'm very much about community and community oriented. And so I wanted to really just challenge this notion of we really start need to start thinking about what our community's needs are and that's the perspective that I'm coming at it from so that's how I've been sharing my story and why I feel that people should elect me is just on the basis of I I don't really think about myself and the work that I do I think about this in terms of how can we help others long term Mm. and what do you hope what impact do you hope to make in this position Well, for starters, while there hasn't ever been a Latina elected to the board before, and there have been plenty of Latinos that have been elected, but I would actually be one of the youngest and the first to ever be elected to the board. And so that alone is a lot to tackle considering the demographics of the campus and given that there are four buildings within Wawanzi Community College. And so I think that being one of the first is definitely something that I have been explaining 
saying to folks as I've been navigating this and also just coming at it from the perspective of having been a former teacher. I taught for five years in the area at the high school level. I taught high school Spanish. I taught high school for native speakers. And so really coming at it from that angle and understanding the students that usually come to the institution and then also understanding what it is to be in higher ed as I'm I'm also a doctoral student. So yeah. that's that's really everything trying to just stress all of those experiences and even just being a student in COVID. And so all of those things combined are really what I'm trying to utilize to amplify my platform in knowing that these are all real challenges and I've also had to struggle through them. And what great perspective that you have, all of those different angles. I'm a, I'm a student. I know what it's like to be a student in COVID and to understand the challenges that come with that and the, the uniqueness of these times from, from just that perspective, but then also being a teacher and having that experience of, of having youth day in and day out and understanding those needs and what are those next steps going to be and, and the struggles that they face and then also wanting to give back and be community oriented. And I think that's, that's pretty great perspective. Definitely something we'd, you, you think we'd want in a position Mm -hmm. of leadership in our community what inspired you to run so what gave you that impetus to say I'm going to do this I can do this and and then go for it there are a lot of things that I didn't think that I'd be doing when I was I think about my high school self and I said all I'm going to do is go to college (laughs) what were you like (laughs) in high school I I, I'm a very introverted person. I think when I tell people that and then they see the way that I navigate spaces and I'm really passionate and dedicated and um, I do have, I think, this fierceness about myself when I think that something is not just. And so when I tell people, oh, I'm a very introverted person, I just tend to be high functioning because these are the things that need to be done. And so even in high school, I was I'm very shy still, but I think that I just was very involved in a lot of fine arts, a lot of language oriented subjects and people would be surprised to find out that at one point I thought that I was going to become a high school orchestra conductor and that didn't work out. <laughs> um, but I... What I, instrument? Or wait, so did you play an instrument? I did. My main instrument was viola. And so that's what I started with. And there's a bunch of other things that I dabbled with. I basically lived in the fine arts section of our high school by my senior year. Got it, Um, got it. So I was basically everything from orchestra, band, choir, to playing in the theater pit, to being in marching. That's where I met my husband. So Marching um, band in high school? Yeah. Wow. So, you know, band, my, my, my oldest son was in band and, you know, it's a different group of kids and they're so like close knit and you Mm -hmm. kind of in this group together from like, junior high through high school right Um, and so So that's that's really what I was yeah yeah so that's really just how I was that I I think because of that and I think there was something about just having that passion and that drive for helping other people too was where that grew out of that even though I know that I am introverted in a sense. I think when I do see things that are 
more unjust that that is my that is where I call the attention out towards is that there needs to be folks regardless of who you are or how you might be personally and that if there is something that drives you I think that's going to be the thing that ultimately makes you want to pursue those things. And like you said, that fierceness comes through to to give you the ability to be high functioning and saying this has to get done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what issues are important to you as a trustee? What what will you bring to and as to the forefront of your of your service there? So I in my time uh, running the campaign, I, I have been learning a lot about just the fiscal nature of the board and in addition to some of the other decisions that have to be made on a daily basis and um, there are several things that I do want to tackle long term especially so one of the things is that there are several community colleges in the state at this point that are or have committed themselves to going tuition free and that's out of this need to really address one we do have a falling enrollment issue And that could be a number of factors, right? It could be that there are familial responsibilities, having to take a break from education. But even now with the pandemic, that's definitely exposed some of the disparities there. And tuition tends to be one of those things that sometimes can get in the way of a student deciding to enroll or continue with their education. So I think by going tuition free, that would help alleviate the burden from students that come from working class backgrounds to continue their education and also be able to attain those degrees. But that also includes folks that have been left behind. So for example, people that were once in traditional manufacturing positions or even labor positions where we are seeing that they often get left behind as a result of automation, the digital era. And so trying to be inclusive of them as well and encouraging them to continue in their pursuit for continuing to be a provider, whether that be they are a, a single person or with their own families, those are often people too that don't get included in the conversations. And so I think that would help address some of the issues around continuing education is just the cost of tuition itself. And that's to say, too, that the college really approximately every year takes in about 25% of their revenue from tuition. And they do have funds, reserves from being fiscally responsible in the time that they have been doing this. So though that's something that I want to tackle long term. The other thing too is that we have issues with transparency as it relates to the Board of Trustees. I know that this is a nonpartisan position. However, again, our own biases tend to be reflected in the decisions that we make. And I think that's something that does make myself different from my incumbents is that I acknowledge that I do have my own biases and I'm trying to unlearn and also learn at the same time how it is that we can shift or reframe certain policies. And that's inclusive of who we bring into the college, our stakeholders, 
and making sure that the community is aware of who is there. And a prime example of that would be that um, we, just in this previous presidential administration, the former secretary of education was allowed to come visit the campus without acknowledging that the community college partners, which include the students, staff, and faculty, should have been made aware, but they weren't made aware of their visit. And so that's one of the things, too, where we have to start questioning what is it that we don't know and who's being directly impacted by those decisions and who's being left out. And then the last thing, too, would be making sure that our faculty and staff, that they are being included in conversations as it pertains to them being fairly compensated, that they are being included in contract negotiations, even just the faculty, their contract is due to expire in June of this year. And so as we speak, they're going through those negotiations. But we really need to think about, too, is who is not being included in those conversations. And I think that's something that, as a result, we need to also consider how it is that we're cloning people in the decision-making process, especially when we think about who is it that we're making these decisions for. If we're not including those who are directly impacted, then who does it really serve? And when you say decisions, are you talking about students from the student perspective? I am talking about the perspective of, for example, if it is a decision that would directly impact students, how are we including the students in the decision-making process? If it is a decision that pertains to faculty, how are we including them? And so more often than not in the history of just the board that we have right now, it's that in my conversations with faculty and students that they found that more often they find out after the fact that these decisions were made without them being having the opportunity to provide input. Yeah. And then it begs the question of who is this working for? How does this, is this really benefiting me? Am I getting what I'm, I'm asking for? Do I get mm-hmm. what I need? What are some of those other needs? So you mentioned transparency as one of mm-hmm. those. What do you mean by that? Transparency in terms of how, like the decision-making process and of of course the inclusivity? Mm -hmm. So in relation to transparency, the board has their website up on the institution's website, but more often than not, you have to really dig to find what the information is that they are trying to get out there, be able to inform the community but there's only one spot to find it. And not everyone knows that. And it does make me question too, what other avenues are being used to be able to inform the community so that there is authentic transparency in the information being used to make decisions, whether that be budget, whether that be contract, administrative, relating to students, you can only find it in one spot. And so I have said that, and I will do this, is that using my social media platforms to inform people of what is the information that they need to know in order to know what's going on. And that's what I mean by transparency is the accessibility of information, meeting people where they're at. And even though the website also can be translated into Spanish, Again, that's the only place you can find it. And it was even hard for me to find the translation button. And so, mm. and, and 
to mention that, you know, me being someone who also translates on the side, that's very indicative of, you know, what are you doing to make information easily accessible? And that alone deals with being transparent. And so when you only have one place, but you're not marketing it well, that's a big issue too. So this interview is probably going to air after the election date. So assuming you're you're going to win and you take <laughs> on this position as trustee, this will be an interview that allows people to get to know you, right? And understand. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you're talking about these important aspects and where you're going to focus your area and why your perspective matters and and is of great value to the community. But where did you come from? How, where did you grow up? Let's talk a little <laughs> bit about your per, the, the, the part that you don't really love to share so much, but let's just go and start with your early years and, and tell us more about you. And so I am the oldest daughter of Salvadoran migrants. So my parents immigrated from El Salvador in 92 while my mom was three months pregnant with me. So they were actually fleeing the civil war that was occurring at that time. And they decided that it was really a choice of did they want to raise me there or did they want to provide a different environment that they felt strongly would really give me more opportunities. And that was when they migrated and they settled in the North Shore area of Illinois. So I'm not an Aurora native. I've, this is probably, this is year going on year six of me living in Aurora. So I grew up in the Skokie area. That is where I call home, even though my parents don't live there anymore. (laughs) But I grew up there and lived there for 20 some years. I went through their school system and I'm one of five siblings, actually. And so even though I consider myself the oldest, I do have a half brother who I actually met two years ago. So that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, so that that alone just says a lot about just who I am as a person. I really like to find out about other people's stories. And now I'm still on this journey of trying to find out my own story because I actually don't really know a lot about my parents' um, origins, their hometowns. I remember in fourth grade, my dad took me on a trip to El Salvador and showed me where their house, where his childhood home was. But that was, that's really as much as I know. And funnily enough, this is actually something that I'm trying to figure out through my doctoral studies, because I do want to tackle just how Central American students see themselves in curriculum. And that is for me a personal journey because I'm still trying to connect the dots and I don't, I'll ask, but still, again, it's very much just trying to prod and poke at what their lives are like there. And so really it's been a journey of trying to figure that out. And 
even just going back to me, I spent much of my schooling just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I say that I wanted to become an orchestra conductor, but my dad didn't want me to do that. He wanted me to become a lawyer. (laughs) And I think in me telling him that I'm running for office now and doing doctoral studies, he sometimes will bring up and say, oh, well, I guess you could have become a lawyer anyway, since you're doing all of that. But I just told him, this is just my way of doing things. I've always been, I think I've just been a disruptor from the womb. So I don't really follow (laughs) rules. And I've just always been that way. It's always been in my nature to question things when I see that things just don't make sense. And at the time, I didn't think of it as being unjust. It just didn't make sense to me when I was younger. I didn't have the knowledge to really put together that really this is what it boils down to. So I've always just been interested in being able to uplift others, being able to share knowledge. And even throughout my high school years, while I was very much set on becoming a high school orchestra conductor, even then in those spaces, I didn't have the means to rent my own instrument or even buy my own instrument outright. They get expensive. Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough that I had my orchestra teacher who loaned me their school instruments as a result of that. And I think that's what helped a lot too in seeing that there were adults around me that really wanted to make sure that I had what I needed. And I think those were my first, just my first interactions with what equity can look like. And that's really what I'm just predicated on is making sure that people's unique needs are being met. And that just showed me in and of itself, too, that, you know, we can't just exclude people just on the basis of not having what they need and trying to find a way to make sure that they are able to access it. And it's just that experience alone for me that really just put me on this path of community. And so I did all of that. And I was very just interested in music. And then as a result, I didn't get into music school. I had every intention of still enrolling at NIU because I am a Northern Illinois grad, but I originally intended on going to their music school and that didn't work out. So then I ended up just going to NIU, spent a semester just trying to figure things out. And that's where I decided that I wanted to become a Spanish teacher because there was the linguistic aspect of having to translate for my mom growing up and just having to navigate just linguistic bridges. And so that's really what interested me is still the education aspect, but coming at it from my own personal experiences and being able to share that. and. It's really been just a road of continual education. I think I've only ever had a year gap of me not going to school <laughs> because I've just been nonstop. I'm a professional student. <laughs> <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think if I I think if I had to make a career out of that, that probably would be it because yeah. I I just I went to NIU then graduated, started my teaching career. But even then I did, I did do graduate courses to get my ELL endorsement at NIU. So I just really didn't stop. And I think I took a year off and then 
that's when I entered my master's program. So I did my master's program at uh, U of I in Urbana. And that really just set the course for me to really get into what I'm doing right now is just really learning more about equity and diversity and just how racial justice looks like in education. And so I got my master's in diversity and equity in ed with a focus on policy studies. And so I think that's really been a journey for me is just learning more about myself, learning more about just how community can really share in that knowledge. And then at the same time, trying to advocate for others and also giving them the tools and also helping them build up their knowledge as well. And so I think after that, I it's funny because I graduated from U of I and then two weeks later I started my doctoral studies <laughs> so I only had two weeks <laughs> and okay. then I just started hit the ground running with that <laughs> so when you were at school did is that you saw the position open and you're like hey I'm gonna do this that was basically, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think just with my PhD. So now I'm doing leadership equity and inquiry program at Illinois State. And originally it was supposed to be a mix of in person and then uh, online. And I found this through a friend who was also doing the program and they're in their dissertation phase right now. And so I think I don't think I would have found this program had I not had someone else that was doing it because traditionally speaking, a lot of doctoral programs still are very much you have to leave your career and focus on that. And so I think that I just nonstop hit the ground running because I knew that this was something that I just made sense to me. It just helped connect the dots and just has provided me a lot of knowledge that I've been sharing with others along the way. Mm -hmm. What's the role of the trustee? Like what actual ability do you have in your role to be able to influence the impact you're looking to make? The role of trustee basically is that they are the ones who manage the budget. So they have to be responsible with the funds from the previous years in order to make sure that they, it is allocated to the necessary resources and services throughout the institution. And they are also involved with contract negotiations for faculty and staff, as well as making sure that we are conforming uh, to policy, remaining in compliance with higher education legislation, whether that be at the state, federal, or both. And then also dealing with employment, so hiring qualified faculty and staff. So that's what it is in a nutshell. But we also do, there is opportunities for advocating for policies, proposed legislation that would ultimately benefit students and staff. And that's really what I'm setting out to do too, is that historically speaking in these positions, there hasn't been a lot of moving the needle. There hasn't been a lot of advocating for uh, diversity in thought, equity in education per se, from um, even just my incumbent opponents. And they are of the belief that this isn't a position where we change policy. However, we're elected officials. That's also what we're responsible for is advocating for folks. And so I want to change the narrative around the existing board to really encourage us to start thinking about there are 
higher education uh, policy initiatives and legislation that is being proposed right now, um, whether that be, for example, advocating so that we have access to something that seems very, very imperative, and we don't think about this, but for example, just access to menstrual pads, tampons, for example, that's something that is being advocated for right now so that we are able to provide that throughout the K-16 system. And we're in 2021, and we still don't have that. And so that's something that's important because we don't we don't necessarily think about how that can really impact. the. And we're talking about at the community college, right? Right. Like, exactly. I, see, I have a hard time wrapping <laughs> my mind around like, but is that is that something that can that students run into? They need tampons and. Oftentimes, oftentimes they bring them themselves. And I know that at the K-12 level, at least in my time when I was teaching, they started introducing this concept of, hey, we should probably include this so that, you know, they don't have to feel the need to run to the nurse's office, for example. And this seems something that maybe for some might not seem that it is um, imperative, but if you really think about it, there are going to be times where this might be something that distracts from being able to take in knowledge, and it's something that is important, right? So it might not seem important to some, but for others, it's just also the impetus of explaining that this is something that you should be providing, something simple, so that way, if they aren't able to access it on their own, then at least they have a space where they can access it for free. Mm -hmm. And so even just things like that, and from that and then going to talking about right now they just passed legislation for culturally responsive teaching practices and there was a lot of hype and also groans around how this would change things but really when you look into the legislation it's around how is it that we are changing the way that new teachers are coming into spaces and these are teacher prep programs that would help advocate for students who will find that they aren't really having their needs advocated for in a culturally responsive manner. And that's something that's important too. And even at the community college level, even though that we don't offer teacher prep programs per se, that is an opportunity for us to learn more about how are we bringing on qualified staff that are also being mindful of the ways that they engage with students. Those are the things that I want to see us doing and advocating for. Mm. And so how has your experience been so far? Now you're an introvert, quiet person, more so shy. And now you're in this public sphere and you're, you know, promoting these ideas and this this great exchange of information that you can bring as well as your eagerness to listen and, and want to help and think about the next person. What is the experience of of being in the public campaign been like for you so far? To this point, have has it been positive? Are you glad you're running? I've overwhelmingly received positive feedback from folks and also constructive feedback as far as other things that I could be talking about and even just learning more about just some of the different ways in which the community college has impacted people, whether they've attended themselves or they have family members that have attended. And so I, even though the campaign for me, this is a different 
public spotlight. It's not that I'm not used to that. I mean, as a community organizer, I have had opportunities to engage with press and also media. So it's not something that's new. I think it's more that this space in particular is one where, you know, I've had to learn to navigate and also teach myself about different aspects of higher ed governance and also learning more about what is it that budgeting entails? How are these line items allocated? And that's something that I was already learning throughout the course of my master's and also my doctoral program, but it's really been doing a lot of research on that end too. And so I've received a lot of of positive feedback, help from folks from from different aspects of the community, and just really making sure that I am setting time to make sure that I am um, addressing everything that people are asking of me to make sure that I am doing my own research and being responsible for learning myself. What is it that folks mean by the different points that they're addressing too? Mm -hmm. And what happens if you don't win? Have you thought about that? Uh, I mean, I have thought about that because, again, there is this aspect of I, I think some people might know what imposter syndrome is, but for some people who might not be aware, it's this, especially for people of color who come into spaces that historically weren't designed for us and often have us questioning our own capabilities. I think that's what looms in my head for me is this imposter syndrome of I know I have all these skills and capabilities, but even throughout the potential of me possibly getting elected, that still looms in my head, right? Because this is a space where once again, there's never been a Latina elected before. And someone who also has a higher ed perspective and also a teaching perspective. And so for me, that's a lot of, I've spent a lot of time questioning my abilities, but at the same time, if I were to lose once again, it would be the same process in my head of like, well, maybe I wasn't meant to be in these spaces, but I know that even in losing, we also have to assess, well, how else can we be advocating for students at the same time? And this is something that I've done regardless of whether I get elected or not. I've always been advocating for students in any capacity or position that I've been in. And so it's really just about, okay, let's reframe, let's reassess and think about other ways that we can be helping in the higher ed landscape. And so I think that if, again, if I were not to be elected, I think it's just more the process of, okay, I go through a stage of like having this imposter syndrome for a bit and then coming back and reflecting on how else can I be helping and then get the ball rolling again. And I say that because more often than not, I think people assume that we need to be perfect in these types of opportunities. And I'm also trying to dispel that too in this opportunity is that we're not perfect. We're not here to say that we have all the solutions, but I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to do the research to make sure that we are moving the needle regardless of whether I'm elected or not. I think, and that's the beautiful part is I'm here because I'm meant to do this. I'm here to move the needle forward. And and I've interviewed now the three mayoral candidates for the Aurora, the city of Aurora, and all three have lost a previous election. That shouldn't, so don't get dismayed, but I'm rooting for you. 
I think you're going to do great. And I love your perspective. I love the fact that you're able to bring I, th- I think such a freshness and a newness and a and a true heart for equity and social justice and a like you said that fierceness and the grit to be able to get work done when in in a time you know it, it's distract there's a lot of distractions out there and it's a hard time and a trying time and you're still so focused and eager to make a difference and I think that's a great thing I think that's something we all need more of. No, I I definitely think that what I'm setting out to do, I know it's about the campaign and I know right now it's about me, but I think what I'm trying to impart too is that we all have ways that we can make change. We all have knowledge that's valid. And I, in some of the conversations where I've been in forums with my incumbents and talking about what knowledge is valid, I, I would argue that all of the knowledge that our communities hold, whether formal or informal, those are opportunities for us to learn from each other. And Mm -hmm. so I think when we talk about the community college aspect, I think that yes, we do want people who are qualified, but I also wanna think about too that we have folks that do amazing things who would be able to impart that knowledge as well and maybe even providing the space for having those types of conversations and dialogue around, well, whose knowledge is really valid, right? And that's also part of being equitable as well as including that community knowledge into our community college because that's really what the basis of it is and we need to be mindful of that. And so I think that, I not only am setting out to try to change the way that we look at community college trustee, I think also trying to understand that we're living in a time where we have to ask these questions. We need to start looking inwardly to assess what is it that we're doing to either welcome people in or keep leaving people out. Yeah, I love that. Welcome people in or keep people out. Because that's what we're doing every day, right? We're deciding who gets to come, who gets to play, and who can't. And I think your message is um, there. There's a there's a better way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Sandra. I wish you the best, and then I can't wait till we catch up again. No, thank you so much, Andrea, for having me. This is awesome. And again, just reminding people that you really can set out to do what you would like to do, and knowing that there are people that are rooting there for you and just my experience alone. And so I thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Tuesdays with Andrea. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you making the time to listen to mine. If you like this show and want to know more, check out TuesdaysWithAndrea.com or please leave a review on iTunes or drop a line in the YouTube comment section. Until next time, please stay kind in your mind, nice on the web, and stay hella hopeful in your heart.